Not even I thought that John was capable of thinking of something like that because the whole time I didn't know that he was the sniper. It didn't come together for me until ATF knocked on my door. The wife of the D.C. Beltway sniper, Mildred Muhammad. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. For three weeks, in the fall of 2002, the Washington, D.C. metro area was terrorized by a series of sniper attacks, seemingly random killings of people at gas stations or on random street corners. In all, 10 people were killed by the gunfire. Piecing together what little eyewitness evidence there was, police launched a search for a mysterious white van seen near some of the attacks. But it turns out, we now know, that John Allen Muhammad, a 41-year-old Gulf War veteran, and a 17-year-old accomplice named Lee Boyd Malvo were actually the shooters, and they were running around all over town in a beat-up old blue Chevy. Eventually, they were caught, and ultimately the truth of their crime came out. John Allen Muhammad was estranged from his wife, Mildred Muhammad, and was in a fight with her over custody of their children. His master plan, it turns out, was to make it look like her death, which he was planning, was just part of this series of random sniper attacks. Muhammad and Malvo were eventually caught, tried, and convicted. And I met Mildred Muhammad in the fall of 2009, when she wrote a book not only about her own experience, but also hoping to be a kind of a guide for other women in abusive situations. So here now, from 2009, Mildred Muhammad... I wrote this book to let my children know the truth about the relationship between their dad, John Allen Muhammad, the convicted D.C. sniper, and myself, and what has transpired after that. And what a lot of people don't understand was this is a domestic violence situation. And so, unfortunately, innocent people were killed randomly. I was supposed to be included in those shootings. He was going to come in as the grieving father to regain custody of the children and then drive away. But that didn't come out until months, I think like a year later, that that was the ultimate reason for those innocent people being killed. The thing of it is, it seems so fantastical. It's the kind of thing some Hollywood hack would come up with, a plot to to kill an ex-wife by first killing a bunch of other people to make it look like a serial killer was at work. That, it's just horrific. It is. And, and nobody, not even I, thought that John was capable of thinking of something like that because the whole time I didn't know that he was the sniper. I was looking for two people. I was looking for the sniper and I was looking for John. It didn't come together for me until ATF knocked on my door and told me they was going to name him as the sniper. And did I know that he was killing people around me? And did I know that I was the target? And I said, no. I said, I was looking for him. I wasn't looking for him to be like this with killing other people. And then they asked me, well, do you think he would have done something like this? And I said, well, yeah. They said, well, why? I said, well, he said that he could take a small city terrorize it, they would think it would be a group of people and it would only be me. And of course you were also, like the rest of us, looking for a white van. I was looking for a white van and two Caucasians and so were my children and so was everybody else and we were ducking and not going places and staying home and it was a really terrifying time for everybody. 
and just more so for me because on top of that, I was looking for John. And I have to tell you, I, I can't even begin to imagine on a, on a very personal level the kind of feeling that must go through your mind when you realize he is the guy and the things he is capable of. Did you have to pinch yourself at some point and say, this can't be real? I still do because it, I have not wrapped my brain completely and I don't think I ever will around the fact that the man that I was married to for 12 years and bore three children for hated me so much that he would kill innocent people to kill me and I, 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 I can't uh, understand that and I don't believe I ever will so I just have to accept that and move on it's such a sweet start to your book when you describe how you met, when you began going together. Well, it was sweet until you found out he was already married. But, I mean, it just, it, here's a man who appeared to be not only quite normal, but a very loving and caring man. Right, and he was. He was very loving and caring until, you know, he was um, in the Army and he had to go to the Gulf War. And when he came back, he was a different person. And there are so many soldiers that go to war now, men and women, and the person that leaves, that's the person we expect to come back. But there's so many times, so much they see over there, we don't know. And it causes them to change and to adjust and to become people that we have no idea that they have become. Do you have any idea what he went through? No. Because one report says one thing, another report says another, and so I'll never know the truth about that. All I know is that he came back a changed man, and it changed so much that I didn't even recognize him. Did either of you ever seek help for him? No, he was in the military. I mean, in the military, you can't have a, a mental anything. If you're talking about advancing your career, you have to just suck it up and... Keep it going. Keep it moving. Isn't that what they say? Suck it up and keep it moving. That's it. I've often thought about the irony that one of the things that made him so valuable in the military, his sniper ability, is now the thing that, that terrified the rest of us. And he used all of what he knew to accomplish what he did. And a lot of people say, well, he's mentally ill and he has PTSD. Okay, but if he would have taken that knowledge and used it for good, then you would have called him a genius. And that's a fine line, very fine line. I mean, all right, if you set aside the morality of it for a moment, it does take a genius to be able to pull off what he did. Yes, exactly. And that's why I say if, it, if he would have used it for good, then you would have called him a genius. If he was able to kill me and come in as a grieving father, he would have been the father of the year. Okay? That's how that would have worked out. Do you have nightmares about that happening, where the, the, it has a different outcome than in real life, where, in fact, he did find you, he did? I mean, I, I can't imagine how you live with this. I, I don't have nightmares. I found my peace as well as helped my children to find theirs. And so I think about it, and then I let it go. I don't try not to think about it because I think that's when the nightmares will start. I go through the process of if it comes up, then I'll think about it. I'll go through the what-ifs, and I'll look at what it is and what it is now and how it didn't turn out like that, and that I'm blessed and I'm happy, and then I move on from that, and that's it. It is amazing that you are as together as you are. Well, I, I don't, my thinking is I don't have a choice. 
because I have to raise my children. And my children are the most important people in my life. And if I'm a mess, then my children are a mess. And I am not about to let them be uh, a deficit to this society. They need to be assets. They need to know that there is more than one way to do something, and they need to know how to make it happen. And I gather from the way you're talking that you don't intend to let either you or them become defined by John either. No, we're not going to be defined by John. I started an organization called After the Trauma to help victims and survivors of domestic violence. This book was written about John and I and everything that happened, but the most important part of this book for me is the comprehensive safety plan that Simon & Schuster has allowed to be put in the book to help victims and survivors decide when it is time for them to leave because I will never tell a victim to leave but I will tell her to plan because in her planning she will know when to leave because she's living it. There are resources available also in all 50 states of what coalitions to contact so that's the most valuable part in my book for me. It, I'm amazed at how you've been able to turn what could have destroyed somebody else into something that appears to not only have made you stronger, but now will make other women stronger as well. Well, it was because of my faith. I cannot leave that out because I, I struggled hard in eliminating the guilt, the shame, the fear. And, you know, fear can be... Uh, Uh, debilitating, but if you use it as an acronym, which is false evidence appearing real, then if you can find what the false evidence that is appearing real to you and deal with it, then you can move forward from that fear and then use it as fuel to move and go and do the things that you need to do. And that's what I've done. I'm guessing that as you go around and you speak to groups and you talk to individual women who are having trouble that probably what you're hearing a lot, or at least, or maybe seeing in their eyes is, gee, if she can do it, I can do it. Exactly. And that's exactly what I try to put across because some women will walk up to me and say, you know, my, my, my uh, abuse wasn't as bad as yours. I say, I don't want you to ever say that again to anybody because your abuse was as bad as mine because it was yours. Don't deny it. Don't compare it. Your pain is your pain. My pain is my pain. Don't diminish it just because mine was national. Yours is just as important. And so they stop saying that. Well, and, and also, I mean, everybody's is different. What is abuse to one is just kind of irritating. Get out of my face to the, to the next one. Exactly. And a lot of people walk around with no physical scars. And see, that's my plight is that you don't have to have physical scars to be a victim or a survivor of domestic violence. But a lot of people don't look at you until you get a scar. Well, I didn't have one. And unfortunately, that was the downfall because people, law enforcement, other professionals did not believe me. John was so charismatic and charming and had his thing together and didn't get emotional. Here I am, a Rex, and ah! And so they paid attention to my irrational thinking and paid more attention to his rational thinking. So I had to flip it. Okay, so I need to start being rational so that the people could listen to me. And so when I started to do that, then things started to change a little for me. Does your faith demand of you that you forgive him? Well, all faiths demand that you forgive them. Now, whether the person can do that or not, that's a whole different story. But I have forgiven John, and I didn't forgive him for him. I did it for me because I'm not going to allow him to have any control over me, and he's in prison. 
I'm going to maintain control over myself, my own thoughts, and how I feel and my beliefs based upon me, not upon him. What goes through your mind now that a judge has set a date and we know, barring unforeseen circumstances, when he will die? My children. I have to help them because he's my ex-husband, but he's their dad. And I can't even imagine what they're going through in trying to process this information. So my total focus right now is upon them. Surviving with strength. Right. And I told them we will get through this together just like we did before. John Allen Muhammad was executed by lethal injection just a few weeks after my conversation with Mildred Muhammad. Lee Boyd Malvo has appealed his multiple life sentences without parole, but it is likely he will remain behind bars the rest of his life. Mildred Muhammad continues to speak out about domestic violence. And you can find easy Amazon links to Mildred Muhammad's book at our website, heardeverything.com. Would you do me a favor? If you liked today's episode, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? We post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, a fascinating conversation with a man who has worn many hats and played many roles in his life. He was a close confidant of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., later mayor of Atlanta, congressman from Georgia, United Nations ambassador. My 2005 conversation with Andrew Young. If you had told Martin Luther King after the speech on the march on Washington, what do you think of Andy Young being ambassador to the United Nations? He'd have laughed. And he would have said, well, if we can ever get the right to vote, maybe some of those things will happen. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.